played a couple gigs in Missouri this weekend, one in St. Louis and one in Osage Beach. Had a really good time, met some really nice people who said that they listened to this show. I always appreciate that, and uh, a couple people that listened to quite a few episodes of this, maybe all of them. We got to talk about the show for a while. But I woke up uh, after the first gig in St. Louis. I decided I wanted to go see the grave of classy Freddie Blassie, who's one of the legends of professional wrestling. And it was about three or four degrees above zero. So around 9 a.m. I'm walking around a graveyard, and it had just snowed, and it was covering up all the names of the graves. I was freezing. I was out there for probably 30 or 40 minutes, really cold, and I never found the grave. I just gave up. I started driving towards Osage Beach. I decided I would go out of the way so that I could drive down Route 66, which is always a great experience, and it was very much worth it. I drove past a Jesse James Wax Museum, tried to go in there, but it was closed for the season. Got to look in through the window, and I went over to Merrimack Caverns, and just did a lot of fun little roadside stuff, and... Ended up on some tiny little roads headed back to Osage Beach. It was a really nice, peaceful drive through the country. And when I got there, I found out that there was a swinging bridge just outside of town. And I decided to head out there and take a look at it. And when I got there, I couldn't believe what I saw. There was gravel roads on each side of this bridge. The bridge is over 500 feet long, and it's made of wire and wood. And it's almost a hundred years old. (laughs) And uh, when you drive a car across it, you can feel the bridge swaying from one side to the other with your car on it. It seemed about as rustic and unsafe as I could possibly imagine. And the sound as you're going across these rotted boards. And you can see, you look down and you can see down into the river. And there's just rotted boards is all I can describe that's holding you up and some 100-year-old wires. I'll post some pictures of all of this stuff on the front page at otisgibbs.com so you can get an idea of what I'm talking about. But I played the gig in Osage Beach. It was just a great time. Had a really good time. Met lots of nice folks. And headed back home, and I decided I would take a long way, and I drove through southern Illinois, somewhere down around Vienna. I went through Jonesboro, Illinois, which was where the third Lincoln and Douglas debate was held and went to that site. Just a beautiful little town. I could see myself living in a little town like that someday. Ended up making my way back home through Paducah. And when I got home, I could see Russell in the living room window going nuts. My dog Russell jumping up and down. You'd think I'd been in Europe for three months. It looked like one of those soldiers returning home videos that you see. But I have to hand it to old Russell. He always has a way of making me feel good about being home. Hi friends, this is Otis Gibbs and you're listening to Thanks for Giving a Damn. I'm sitting here in my living room in East Nashville. This is a personal journal. This is a bit of an experiment. I like to say right up front that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm doing, but I decided to do it anyway. 
And this show was founded with the idea that there are only two people in art that matter. There's the creative individual and the person experiencing it. And everything else is an artificial filter. This is a way for me to share things with you guys without any filters whatsoever. My guest this week is Kenny Vaughn. Kenny is a great guitar player and a wonderful all-around musician and just a great guy to be around. You can find out everything you need to know about Kenny at facebook.com slash Official. It would be impossible for me to say enough good things about what a wonderful player Kenny Vaughn is. And he's a really good guy. He's really fun to be around. He has a lot of great stories. And some of those stories have to do with being around Merle Haggard over the years. Kenny's had quite a few gigs where he would end up around Merle. And um, most recently, Kenny has played with Marty Stewart's Fabulous Superlatives for quite a while now. And he was nice enough to share some of these stories. I just asked him if he would you know, share some memories of what it was like just to hang out with Merle Haggard. And he was nice enough to do that. Kenny came over here. We recorded this in my living room. When we were done, we talked for another hour and a half, just about whatever. I probably should have recorded all of that. But I enjoyed this very, very much. Here's Kenny Vaughn. I go all the way back to his first records on Capitol. And that was because the guy that lived across the street from me, a guy named Ted Moser, and his father had um, Merle Haggard Records and Johnny Cash Records and uh, Buck Owens Records. Somehow or other, we thought of Buck Owens and Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash as rock and roll stars. We didn't have any idea that they were country artists. We didn't know. Because in Denver, they were really big. You know, those three artists were really big stars. And, you know, and so, you know, they got a lot of airplay. Um, and I was very aware of everything that Merle Haggard was doing. And I immediately loved his music. Haggard was my guy. I just, every time he put out a record, I was just, I was totally into him, you know, all through the um, 60s and into the early 70s. I was a huge, huge Haggard fan, big time. And so when I started playing country music for a living, because my parents moved from Denver to Kansas and I didn't want to go live in the middle of a cornfield, I just stayed in Denver and started, you know, working in honky tonks with old guys playing old country music. And I, you know, was able to uh, play a lot of those songs. And that was really good for me, you know, because I liked them. And my friends thought I was crazy. What are you playing that kind of music for, man? I was like, well, some of that music's really good, you know. And um, and the guys I'm playing with are a lot better than you guys are, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know? These guys can really play, you know. And uh, so I was very lucky. But anyway, um, I moved to Nashville. I got a gig. The guy called me up and said, "Man, wait, can you come down and do this gig? I got a three week." A road trip out of Nashville with this band called the Sweethearts of the Rodeo, and I said, "Yeah, I've been listening to them on. The, they, they, I heard their record on the radio, you know." And so I came down and we rehearsed, and then we played. Uh, it was this thing that used to happen downtown in the summertime called Summer Lights. It was a, a festival in, uh, I think it was May, in Nashville, right down on the courthouse steps there, and they'd set up a giant stage, and there would be acts playing for like three days, and. Um, you know, it was a big deal, and, and um, 
So I got the, I debuted there. And then we played a night at the Bluebird when like the place was packed. And then uh, we went out and did like three weeks in the road opening for Alabama or something like that. I don't remember what it was, but you know, it was like I was playing through these giant crowds, you know. But anyway, we, uh, I kept doing that gig. They asked me to stay on as their guitar player. I was like, sure, you know. I never thought I'd make this money being a guitar player, so yeah. And I started meeting all these people in Nashville. And I liked it, you know. I was like, oh, I could do this. And um, one thing led to another. But I played that gig for a number of years, and uh, we did quite a few dates opening for Haggard, and that was probably be the first time I actually met him. Good story was uh, one night the, uh, the promoters throwing things at me from the side of the stage, trying to get my attention. And I look over at him and he says, 20 more minutes, 20 more minutes, tell her 20 more minutes. So I told the lead singer 20 more minutes and she looks at me like, we're done. I said, well, he wants 20 more minutes. So we gave him 20 more minutes. And uh, so I, we came off and we were like, what's going on? He said, well, Merle's not here. Band's here, but there's no Merle. And so the... We were, um, the buses were downstairs in, uh, in this parking garage. And so I had my little Fender amp and my guitar. And so the strangers went out and started playing. And um, they're, uh, I think it was um, Kenny, uh, what was that guy's name? He was fronting the band at the time, singing harmony and would open the show. And he's out there doing, you know, heartaches by the number or wind me up or whatever, you know. It's just the stock country covers, you know, the Merle Haggard show, you know. So I go downstairs to load my amp into the bus with my guitar, you know, and I'm down there, and I'm open up the bay, and I, and I hear the, this horn honking, you know, and this guy gets out of a limousine, and I said, hey, he says, well, can you help me out here? And I, so I close the bay, and I walk up there, and Merle Haggard and Bonnie Owens are in the back of the limousine drunk. And he says, can you help me get this guy up these steps to the stage? Can you show me where the stage is? I was like, yeah. So we carried Merle Haggard up these stairs, <laughs> me and this guy, right? And, and I got him through to, to, to the side of the stage, and he brushes us off, you know, and he straightens up his hat and kind of shakes it off a little bit. And he walks out, and they're in the middle of a song, and he walks out on stage and takes his guitar, and he hits this big old E chord. The band stops, and he goes, Wang! And he starts singing Folsom Prison Blues, right? And so I was like, oh, shit, I, I didn't remember if I'd locked the bus or not. You know, so I ran back down the steps. You know, he's in the middle of Folsom Prison Blues. I go back down the steps, make sure the bus is locked, and this lady's trying to stagger out of the, it's Bonnie Owens, and she says, young man, can you help me to the stage, please? <laughs> So yeah, yes, Miss Owens. So I carry Bonnie up the steps, you know, this long flight of steps. And she stumbles up there and she's kind of giggling, you know, and looking a little bit embarrassed, you know. And so I pointed her to the stage and she walked out there and assumed her place at the microphone, you know, and starts clapping along. And he's still singing Folsom Prison Blues. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? And there was a, the tour was sponsored by George Dickel Whiskey. And they had these two guys that would walk around backstage. And one guy had a bottle of Jack Daniels. And one guy had a bottle of George Dickel. And they would say, now, I'm going to pour you a glass of this Jack Daniels. Now, you, you drink that. Now, 
I want you, you try, you drink the Jack. Okay, you drank that. Now, I want you to drink this George Dickel. You can't tell me that Jack Daniels is as good as this George Dickel, right? And that was their, that was their routine, you know? And I, and I quickly figured out that maybe that's why everybody's a little bit drunk on this tour, you know? And um, so it was a good tour, but anyway, uh, that was the only time I ever saw Merle Haggard inebriated. That was the one and only time I ever saw him that way. He's not, he wasn't a big drinker. I don't know if, you know, he never, wasn't a, Big, he smoked a lot of weed, but he wasn't a big drinker. He smoked pop from the time he woke up to the time he laid his head down. You know, when I started playing with Marty, he and Merle were big friends, and we cut a song called Farmer's Blues in the studio down in uh, Cool Springs down there. And there's a, a stu- There used to be a studio down there called The Sound Kitchen. And um, it was funny because... Uh, you know, Mar- Marty had it all, he'd, he'd written the song with his wife, Connie Smith, and he had it all figured out. And Merle Haggard's supposed to get there at like 6.30. Well, about 6.30, Merle Haggard calls and said, hey, can you call the Cracker Barrel and, um, and have uh, them cater? A, we're, we're hungry. We're going to be a little bit late, but we'll be there. So it was crazy because, you know, the Cracker Barrel delivers this giant spread of food, you know, enough for like 20 people. And I swear, like, Right at the time that food got set out, all these people started coming in that I kind of knew, you know, from di- different areas of the country scene around Nashville. But they were all Merle Haggard people. And they were in, not in his bus. They were just arriving, you know. And it was like a whole backstage thing going on in the lounge at the sound kitchen. There's like 20 people in there, you know. <laughs> and then his bus pulls up, and then there's another, you know, six people that get off just to make Merle Haggard be able to come in and sing. And he, you know, he's a shy guy, kind of self-conscious, uncomfortable uh, in, in a crowd kind of person. He's not the most social, you know, he's not the kind of guy that's, he's very shy. So he came in and looked, checked everybody out and, and uh, we went over the song and he suggested a few lyric changes. My favorite one is, uh, the the line is the tractors broke the fences down and Hager says oh, I think can we change that to, the tractor is old the fence is down and Marty's like yeah that'll work you know I mean that's you know Haggard's a, a wonderful poet you know so he he and then I was in the booth right next to him and I could see him through the window and I'd never been in the studio with Haggard before and he stood at the microphone and he gyrated around when he sang, like his, you know, his, he would like gyrate, and it was almost like looking at James Brown or something, you know, uh, singing, you know. And he really threw himself into the performance of the song. And we, you know, what you hear on the record is that just that first take, you know, of him singing the shit out of it, you know. Just a, it's a little ballad, but it's. And I was, I'm there playing the guitar, looking at him with my headphones on, and he's in my head and the headphones. I'm watching him, you know. And, you know, I'm like, wow, look at that, man! It's my head singing. He's very shy and, you know, nice and kind of quiet and standoffish, you know. And, and it took him a long time to where he got to be friends with me, you know. And uh, years later, he would he would talk to me. You know, we'd talk about guitar players and guitar and stuff, music, whatever. He's a music hound, crazy. Last time we were at his house, 
we took Chris Scruggs with him and we ended up talking about Bob Dunn, who was the, the steel guitar player for Milton Brown. And he was, he was a big Bob Dunn fan. Nobody ever played like Bob Dunn. He was a, like a Dixieland player. And Chris Scruggs went off and with Merle Haggard on this Bob Dunn thing. Why Bob Dunn sounded different from anybody else because he listened to, you know, he was a Texan who had heard a lot of Dixieland and he sounds like a trombone player when he plays the steel, you know. And I was like, you know, you're right. They're right. They're big, big Bob Dunn fans, those two. You know, I was like, wow, you know. Is this the picture I saw of Chris with the Lefty Frizzell yeah, guitar? Yeah, yeah. The Lefty Frizzell guitar um, was the first guitar that Merle Haggard ever played on stage. When uh, he was uh, 16 or 17, the, he, his friend, who was a, a little bit older than him, they, they went down to this beer garden place in near Bakersfield, and um, I can't play it in the name. Of the, it's a beer garden, and they had shows there. Uh, and uh, you can look it up, I think. But anyway, they went down to see Lefty. During the course of the evening, uh, uh, this guy goes and gets Merle, and he drags him backstage, which was probably just a, where the beer was, you know, back behind the stage, this place, a honky-tonk, you know, glorified honky-tonk, maybe a dance kind of thing, you know. He says, hey, Merle, this guy can sing just like you. And so Lefty handed him the, that guitar, the Lefty Frizzell, it's a Bigsby neck on a J200 Gibson body. Paul Bigsby put the neck on there and wrote Lefty Frizzell in, in pearl in, inlays into the fingerboard, you know. That's a famous guitar. But anyway, he hands them that guitar, and, and so he said, sing for me. So Merle sang a couple of songs, and I said, what did you sing, man? And he said, I'm not really sure. He said, I can't remember what two he mentioned that probably he sang, but they weren't Lefty songs. So he said, get up there on the stage with my band and go sing a couple of songs. And so Merle, you know, he's holding Lefty's guitar and Lefty just pushes him up on the stage and he, he sang a couple of songs. That was the first time he was ever on stage. First time he sang into a microphone even? Yeah, yeah. And so he's playing with Lefty Frizzell's band, hope, playing Lefty Frizzell's guitar. And so anyway, that long story, uh, that guitar ended up at Retrofret in Brooklyn for sale. And Marty, they contacted Marty, and Marty said, look, I'm not interested in that guitar because that guitar should be owned by Merle Haggard. And so he um, arranged for those guys to fly the guitar to uh, Palisadro, where uh, Merle um, lived out by Reading there. And they took the guitar to Merle's house and made a deal. They cut him, a, they actually lowered the price so he could you know, have it. And um, that's where it lives to this day. And that's why Scruggs is playing it in the picture there. We've all played that guitar. I've got a picture of me playing the guitar on my phone here. <laughs> How's it played? How's it sound? Oh, oh man, it's amazing. It's a 1950 J2, J200 Gibson body, which is the biggest acoustic that Gibson made, and uh, the top of the line. And uh, Paul Bigsby, the great steel guitar builder and electric guitar builder in uh, California who is really the guy basically responsible for people having pedals on their steel guitar he, and the Bigsby vibrato unit but, and, the, and the Fender headstock, six on a side headstock that all come, comes from Paul Bigsby whose shop was right by the Fender's shop. And anyway, uh, Paul Bigsby put that neck on there which is the Bigsby neck which is generally they play better than anybody, uh, any other necks. They're better made. And um, 
and he mounted it onto that guitar, and that was Lefty's guitar. Actually, the 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 name is on the pit guard. Now that I think about it, yeah, it's inlaid on the pit guard, and it has the J two hundred fingerboard, but with a different neck on it. It's really a fast, fast neck. It's like playing an electric guitar, but it sounds like a million bucks, man. We would go out there, and anytime we were touring around California, Marty always would like detour and go visit Merle. And we would record with him up at his studio in the back of his house sometimes, you know. Uh, one time, we, the four of us backed him up, uh, cutting a couple of Bob Dylan tunes. <laughs> Somebody was trying to convince him to do an album of Bob Dylan covers, and so we backed him up on a couple of Dylan tunes. What, so- what songs did you remember? I don't remember now. Famous ones, but I just don't remember which ones they were. I don't know if they'll ever see the light of day. And then there was a song that Marty and him wrote, a Jimmy Rogers song that hopefully will come out someday. Got a good cut on that. And it was always fun to hang out in his living room. and He'd talk about music with us. We were like his uh, audience, you know. He felt comfortable around us and he could talk about stuff that maybe, we, he knew that we were just as crazy about the stuff as he is, you know. What would those subjects be? Uh, Jimmy Rogers, Lefty Frizzell, uh, Hank Williams, you know, Bob Wills, whatever. Would he sit around and, you know, how we all noodle on guitar? Oh, yeah. Love to jam. <laughs> yeah, we'd sit around and pick with him. Yeah. Love to do that. He'd tell stories. We'd ask him questions. He'd, he has a good memory for sessions and stuff like that. Like, who played what on what song and that kind of thing. But uh, anyway, that's how I ended up playing his daughter's wedding. You were asking about that. It was a, a typical Haggard affair. Uh, they built a stage onto the side of the studio in the backyard at the Haggard residence out in the country there in Palisadro. There's probably about 100 people there, uh, all the regulars. The band and, uh, uh, you know, Fuzzy Owen, the manager, and Don Markham, his old sidekick, the guy that played the saxophone with him, the guy that looked like a skid row bum. <laughs> funny story uh, Don Markham was always always rode on Haggard's bus and he never said anything to anybody you know and I remember one, one time uh, uh, there's a guy that travels with Merle that sort of is like his manager Frank Mall not really his manager but he was acting kind of like the road manager sort of uh, Fuzzy Owen was the real manager and he traveled on that bus too but it was basically, Frank Mull wasn't allowed to travel on the bus, but he was up there during the day. And Don was back in his bunk, and he was up for a second. Then Frank says, Don, what time is it? And Don threw his hands up in the air and looks at Frank with his eyes wide open. He says, that's none of my business. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Don speaks, you know. <laughs> very, you know, I seem to say, you know, less than 100 words in 30 years, you know. <laughs> and so anyway uh at that party that day uh, don was standing there and he walks by and our drummer harry says hey don you doing all right and don says no (laughs) 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 he's a character man but uh, that was a fun party We, we we were the house band and merle got up and sang with us you know played with us and uh what was on the set list? I don't remember. I don't remember. 
Merle Haggard songs for sure. You know, he sang some tunes. He sang the Farmer's Daughter for his for the first dance, which was great, fantastic. You know, but uh, his daughter and his son by that wife Teresa are really great people. Benny Haggard is the guitar player that played in his band. That was his youngest son. And then Janessa is his sister, and she was the person that got married that day. And now she has a baby. There's no preparing for, for being at Haggard's place. You never know what's going to happen. It was great. It was fun. We had a ball. You know, there's really nothing much to tell, really. I mean, he was a, a great singer and a, and a great songwriter that had a great band, and amazing how long they stayed on the road you know from 1965 or 66 till right before he died um norman was still playing steel he, he came on board in 68 when fuzzy decided he couldn't play steel and manage anymore and fuzzy was still there to the you know he, he showed up last time we played in california in bakersfield he came to the show you know norman was there at our show it's amazing that how long i mean merle haggard wore out a lot of musicians a lot of them you know died <laughs> you know during their tenure as strangers a lot of them just couldn't handle it anymore they just had to leave you know but norman hung in there from 68 till it was only last year right haggard died 16 right so that's a good pretty good run do you remember the last time you saw him yeah i was up at his house in uh right Several months before he passed away, we were at his house. Was he in? Was he in bad shape at that point? Yeah, yeah, he wasn't feeling good. He put on a good performance for us that day. He was glad we were there, and he, you know, but um, I could see it was an effort for him to breathe, even though he was still smoking weed. That might have made him feel better. Oh, I'm sure it did. You know. He knew what was going on with himself more than anybody let on, and I think he, I think he chose to go out the way he did. You know, I think he he could have maybe had some, in, you know, incredibly invasive operation and maybe prolonged his life, but I think he just, just I don't think he wanted to go through that. That's my guess. You know, from reading between the lines, you know. That's what, that's what I assume. When you left that day, did you realize that might be the last time you see him? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we were pretty com much convinced of it, I would say, without saying so, you know. Nobody said it to each other. Uh-uh. After you left. Yeah. No, but, we, you know, we knew. Yeah. Appreciate you sharing stories, man. Sure, man. I'd like to thank everybody for listening in, and I'd like to thank Kenny for coming over here to my living room in East Nashville and sharing stories. You can find out everything you need to know about Kenny at facebook.com slash Kenny Vaughn official. If you'd like to help support this show, just go to otisgibbs.com and you can pick up a CD, a t-shirt, 
You can download any record I've ever made. You can buy one of my photographic prints. You can buy one of Amy's records. You can buy one of Amy's children's books. But anything that you buy, we'll mail from our living room to yours, and we'll even put in a little thank you note. If you'd like to help out but you're a little short on cash, just go to iTunes and leave us a five-star review. Leave a comment. Subscribe, and you'll get a brand new episode free as soon as it's available. But if you enjoy this show, or you enjoy my music, or you enjoy Amy's music, please take the time to tell a friend and help us spread the word. And if you'd like to send us a message, we'd love to hear from you. Just send it to info at otisgibbs.com. I'm Otis Gibbs. Thanks for giving a damn.